Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and thank you for joining me again here on the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you for those of you who get in touch and share your stories and your situations and, and how we're really helping and support you. I I can't tell you how important it is in terms of giving us the strength to keep going and to move forward and to know that we're on the right track in terms of this creative and inspiring learning and helping you be the best people you can supporting the children in your life. It's just an absolute privilege to be in a position to be able to share these stories and conversations with you. So yeah, thank you so much indeed. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't checked it out already, my audio course, 10 Pieces of Advice You'd Like to Have as a Child, is available on Listable. And of course, that's together with hundreds of other courses that people have put on that platform. But you can find out more about it by going to educationonfire.com forward slash listenable. Now, today I'm delighted to be joined by Aaron Huey. Aaron is the founder of Parenting Teens That Struggle and the host of the number one parenting podcast, Beyond Risk and Back, which is Mental Health News Radio Network's highest rated show internationally. He is also a parent coach for parents of kids at risk and facilitates powerful parenting events and is a happy husband and father of two young children. Now back in 2009, he and his wife Christine opened a residential mental health and dependency recovery treatment centre for teens aged 12 to 17 in Colorado. Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Centre was in 2019 named one of the top 50 healthcare providers in the United States and in 2020 named one of the top 100 innovators in healthcare. Now this is an important conversation and whether we're parents supporting children, whether we are educators supporting children, often we have many hats on and cover many of these things. So this is an incredibly important conversation. But just before I get going with Aaron, here's a quick thank you to our sponsor. The National Association for Primary Education is a non-political UK charity. As Vice Chair, I'm delighted to be hosting six online CPD events to enable you to be supported as educators, no matter where you are in the world. To find out more information, go to nape.org.uk forward slash online hyphen events. That's nape.org.uk forward slash online hyphen events. Hi, Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. Great to have another person from the USA. Um, it's always great to get different perspectives in terms of education and parenting. Um, but also, I think there's that common sort of humanity feel about the fact that we're all humans connecting in a human way, which I think is the, the starting point for great education as well. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. It's it's nice to see another aerodynamically challenged brother. and. Uh, uh, um, yeah, happy to be here. Happy to hopefully represent the other side of the USA, um, the side of us that are good and actually still have our senses and wits about us and uh, are really trying to make the world a better place, one family at a time, rather than standing in the streets screaming about the most absurd things I've ever seen in my life. Oh, that sounds great. So why don't we start there? Whereabouts are you in the States? And and tell us a little bit of the, the journey around the Fire Mountain program. Yeah, I'm in Boulder, Colorado. I started my business here in uh, a few years after I got sober. I got sober on May 21st, 1998. Uh, So I'm 23 years in sobriety doing my work every single day. And, you know, the work never gets easier. 
It's always hard, but it does get, life does get better every single day. Even when we're pushed to our knees, I find it easier to get up. Um, it was within the sobriety that I truly started to embrace my ability to connect in a classroom. I've not only been an educator in the schools here, uh, but I've, I've owned my own school for the past 12 years. Um, and my, uh, brother was a public school teacher. His wife was a public school teacher. My mom was a public school teacher. My other brother's wife is a private school teacher. I taught in charter schools and private schools here in Boulder, Colorado. And then, as I said, I opened my own school within the adolescent treatment center that I uh, ran. We opened it in 2009 and we closed it 25 days ago. Um, but the uh, uh, being an educator, someone who, as someone who still to this day has extreme ADHD and really struggled in school, uh, I love teaching. I love being an ADHD teacher. I love being able to connect, educate, and uh, truly learn alongside the children as they ask incredible questions that allows us to really explore something that they want to learn. Being ADHD allows me to consistently go that way. If I, if I can, if I may, my, my, my most favorite story of being an educator came just this last year where, uh, when you're working with kids in recovery, they're always looking to justify, they will grasp at any straw. So will adults, but teenagers absolutely will grasp at any straw to justify or rationalize the behavior. And I had a kid in my, uh, I, I was teaching life skills and I had a kid begin a conversation with me saying, I don't understand what the big deal is. George Washington grew hemp. And I said, no, he didn't. And he said, yes, he did. And I said, no, he didn't. His slaves grew it for him. And the kid said, George Washington had slaves. And I said, yes, not only that, but he used corporal punishment on them. And the kid goes, how do you know this? I said, well, I've been to the George Washington uh, National Masonic Memorial Museum, and I saw his ledger where not only he talked about every slave he had, how much they worked and produced, but the ones he punished. And the kid goes, they kept ledgers? Who else had slaves? So we went from learning a life skills class into educating our youth, our American youth on the real history of America, which one of these founding fathers owned slaves and which one of them utilized corporal punishment on their slaves. So, and, and it did not shake the foundations of their belief in our country. It showed them the truth of who we are and the circumstances under which we were founded and grew. And it was a powerful, as a Freemason, as a, as a 32nd degree Freemason, we have never hid the history of our country from each other. We have, and so being able to teach the youth the truth behind eloquence belonging to the conquerors and how a global minority can maintain the power structure of the global majority, the kids were fascinated and it was a phenomenal class, all of them understanding and becoming empowered and quite frankly, to utilize an old adage, allowing the truth to set us free rather than it being something that made us hate who we are. We have to understand who we are and where we came from and where we could go next. And 
tell me a little bit about the freedom that you had in order to do that. Is that particular within your education setting in terms of being able to go off a ta- at a tangent like that in terms of having the space and the time within what people might see as a curriculum sort of indicated time where you have to do this um and and also within that um I'm, I'm curious about the adhd in terms of are you very upfront with that with your pupils to begin with and then they're able to connect in that way or do they just know that they're able to connect because there's a similarity with the, some of those children sure um <laughs> first of all if someone when someone meets me and if they don't realize i'm adhd they are not paying attention i am all over the map i make i'm i'm standing up while we talk because i have to keep moving um otherwise i'm completely distracted by other priorities and i say that not to say that this isn't a priority i say that because what i understand and know about adhd is that everything is a priority That's why everything garners my attention. The bird that flies by the window is as important as this podcast that I'm on. And so I I find myself uh, able to connect easier with people in relationship through acknowledging my neurodivergence. My experience now and my unwillingness to adhere to other people's sense of normalcy comes from the fact that normal never worked for me. And because my wife and I are people who founded a treatment center for teenagers, these are kids who have been traumatized through abandonment, addiction, abuse, or assault. And they are vibrating and living the experience of the language of the family, right? Their behavior is the result of a failed system. Ah, It's not just blaming the family. I'm also blaming the political system, the social system, the education system. Systemic failure is what causes children to struggle with risky choices. That's what causes risky choices. Systemic failure, not kids being dumb not kids being broken. That's, that's like blaming the tree for the fruit when you have to go to the roots and the roots are trauma. The roots are systemic failure, neurological failure, environmental failure. So when we created an environment for these kids to learn, the first thing that they, that we saw is that their learning must be stimulated. You cannot teach, you must perform. You must only teach as a teacher what you are passionate about talking about. So for me, English and the hero's journey, everything Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung and and the, the, the symbolism of the archetypal thinking and the concept of thinking and how things appear every day in symbols, life skills. To teach life skills so that this 15-year-old who cannot wait to leave home and have the freedom that they desire so much, to teach them how to do that, to bring the reality. I, I taught a class called How to Live in Your Car because every single kid I've ever worked with was just going to say at some point to me, I'll just go live in my car. We're saying, great, that's an awesome idea. I love living in cars. I'm about to own a fleet of four camper vans to rent out and make a side business of. Told you I was ADHD. <laughs> but the, I love living in cars. So we would teach how to do that well, safely. To, to, the, the kids are, they're designing their own vehicles and I, w- I would give them outlines of vans and they my bed would go here and my refrigerator would go here. And ultimately I would say, this is awesome. Where do you poop? And we would literally have an hour long class of safe places to poop because 
we have to allow them to have the fantasy and design the reality that they wish to create and then bring the reality into the fantasy so that they can truly create something for themselves. And if the teacher's not passionate about that, then give it up. It doesn't matter what you teach because the content of what you teach is less important than the context, how you teach it. And I, I recognize with our environment of kids, they won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so we were able to teach these kids uh, neuroscience and neuropsychology, how the brain functions at an, an unbelievably scientific level because our teacher was passionate about it. These kids would learn how to play the harp because the harp teacher was passionate about the harp. They learned about the hero's journey and how to become a critic of media rather than a consumer of media because every person that taught media class loves media, social media, music, film, uh, uh, literature, because it's the energy of teaching that counts, not the content. You can teach anything. It's how you teach it that matters. So as a school, when our accreditation people would come in and say, well, how are you going to do math? We would say, well, through finance, through business finance. Why? Because we had a business financier person who was unbelievably passionate. So the accreditation said, great, that's math. How are you gonna do science? We never were questioned because the quality of our context, not the content, the quality of the context is what matters. And the accreditation academy saw it. And if they said, we don't want you to teach it, well, in perfectly cowboy American style, we'd tell them to go f themselves. Because <laughs> we wanna teach it. This is what we wanna teach. And the children will grow from the energy, not from the words. Oh my God. I mean, there's so much amazing stuff in there. And I think I think the thing that struck me the most is just the fact that as soon as someone says, I'm going to sleep in my, I'm going to live in my car, just the fact that you start with the, okay, let's talk about that, as opposed to no, <laughs> or or just that's a ridiculous idea, or that's not don't what you, you should be striving for. Yeah, don't you want to do something that you know, matches my value system instead of yours? We call that the go that way strategy. It was one of our foundations of teaching. When I wanted the kids to learn about the stock market, I made them rate their day at a half hour increment, starting from the moment they woke up to the moment they were teaching the class. And they would put dots on a chart of scale of one to 10. One is shit. 10 is amazing. And they would, and I would say, now take a line and collect the dots, connect the dots. What does that look like? They go, it looks like the stock market. It's like, that's how the stock market works. We're evaluating a company's ability to do business well and whether or not we want to invest in how they do their business. This is the same way your treatment goes, whether or not your parents are investing in your treatment, whether or not your counselors are investing in treatment and whether or not you're invested in your treatment. Because when it's low, you don't want to, but that's a great time to invest in your treatment. And when it's high, everybody wants to be a part of it. That's a great time to sell people on the future of your life. And the kids would get it because it wasn't about a business that they have no concept of. It was about them. They could bring it home. When a kid would ask me, what, are, what does the bank do with my money? 
And all the other kids would go, well, they keep it in a safe. And I was like, no, they only keep 10% of your money in a safe. They're only required to. And the kids was like, well, what does the bank do with our money? That became our finance class because the kid had a question. And if they have a question, go that way. Follow them down the path of what they want to know. You can sit down with your creditors later and quant quantify it and qualify it. But by God, if the kid asks the question, most likely other kids have that question too. And if you answer that question, you know what they'll do? This is, this is, uh, I, I would assume we'd all know this, but if you actually answer the question that they ask, you know what they're going to do? They're going to ask you another one. And that's a class. Yeah, absolutely. And it just really just, well, it's it's so insightful, but it's also so obvious. Like you say, you would assume that everyone <laughs> would, would be thinking along those lines. Um, and I'm in, I'm interested about the conversations you had. You know, you're saying your family, you know, involved in education, very much so. How did those conversations go? Knowing how you went down that route and the way you were delivering it, maybe compared to their different settings and uh, but within their values as well, and maybe what they'd like to be able to have taught compared to their structures and all those kind of things. I, I imagine it drives my family crazy that uh, that this audacity to think that I barely made it out of school myself. The the public school system did not work for me. I was I was neurodivergent, and the, the system in the seventies and eighties was not built for my learning style. So I I found out two days before I graduated that I was graduating. So the 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 the, the fact <laughs> the fact that my brothers and their, my, my sister-in-laws and my mom, that they all worked so hard with their degrees and their master's degree to, to become qualified to work in a system and then to watch me start my own school. And they get it. They respect it. They love me. I love them. I get how they did and why they did what they did. And I respect them, but I know it drives them crazy. I, I just do not do things the normal way. Neither do the kids I teach. So I'm going to start a school for them. How about we start the normal people suck schools or normal system suck schools, right? That, that's, I'll give it a, a valid name. Uh, NSS Academy, right? Normal, normal school suck Academy. Like, but it, at the end of the day, we're all teaching kids. And there are kids whose brains work for the school system. So, so the, the school system is not by and large a failure. It's an, it's an antiquated system and it's a broken system, but boy, did it change very, very quickly worldwide. Everybody went online in two weeks. And I, 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 that's, a, that's an incredible feat. So I believe the system is able to change so that it works for more than two kinds of learners. But do I expect it to? Am I counting on it? Am I waiting for it? Absolutely not. I think you're right. It's a, that necessity is the big thing, isn't it? And while there's people that say the necessity isn't there, then it's it's not going to make a change. It's only having, I think, these conversations and opening the conversation right. to a bigger, um, broader, more sort of colourful idea of how it's possible. Um really puts those sort of things in motion and, and I'm curious because I would imagine if you were starting the the normal school <laughs> sucks academy 
you would teach <laughs> you, you you would teach exactly the same way because it doesn't matter whether your pupils are struggling or whether they're deemed to be okay or normal, whatever any of that would mean. Um, it's about that individual conversation. So it's about whatever you're responding to from the questions that come from whoever it happens to be given by. Um, and and so I guess it would look at exactly the same thing. You just have a more diverse group of of people with with, with their different struggles, how obvious or not they may well be. You know, we, our group of kids were the kids who were traumatized by the school system. Our group of kids were the kids who haven't read a book in a year. Our group of kids were the kids who, you know, they, it just, they, they found themselves in an environment that, that, that was not built for them. And so they didn't thrive in the environment. We had the ability to look at each child as an individual and say, how do they learn? Let's teach him that way. I, if, if the kid is struggling with dyslexia and English and reading as part of our curriculum, then give them a comic book. Let their brain start to put everything together. If they can't read, then give them a book on tape. It'll stimulate the same part of the brain. This has been verified. To, to think that kids aren't reading when they're texting all day is ludicrous. They're reading constantly. So, so all you have to do is show them that they read just fine. They're texting all day. All you have to do is let them watch a YouTube video and turn on closed circuit captioning. And they're reading all day. When you, when you turn on the, 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 the closed captioning down below, your eyes naturally drift. What, what is it? Um, is it in, in uh, uh, Finland where, where by and large, their, their, their TV, their local TV stations suck. And so they just watch foreign movies with closed captioning on. And those kids have a higher English comprehension rate than most kids in America because they've been reading English words since they were born. So there, there are hacks to the experience. If a kid has trouble concentrating, give them sound dampening headphones. You can do this. We can step into each child's experience and connect with them there. But as long as we're standing above them saying, you need to learn up here where I'm learning, the only benefit of being neurodivergent is that I can step into their neurodivergence and connect with them where they are. Go that way instead of expecting them to come this way. Every child can learn as long as you are willing to teach them on their terms. I think the irony is, is that if if you go to where every child is to learn, I think the system becomes easier. <laughs> because if you're trying to teach everyone in the same way, you're going to struggle because the percentage are is that, you know, yes, this number of children will be okay. But then you've got to deal with everyone else who probably isn't then in a position to be learning, which you then have to put that extra attention to anyway. Yes. And I think when you sort of touched on the, the going online um, sort of because of the pandemic, I think there are so many different things that are suddenly opening up now. You know, you can have a classroom which is multifaceted. You know, you can have groups all in the same classroom. You can have some groups in the classroom in a different part of the school, even working at home. There are so many different ways that you can do it that people are doing already. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons we share a lot of these things on the podcast. It's just so that you can hear it doesn't need to look away now it can look your way and your way should be related to the people that you've got stood in front of you and that's all you can do on any given day and i and i think that all begins with validating how each person learns and solves problems because everybody does if, if we say yes but there's one right way to do it then then we're just 
counting them as an individual. And that's historically, that's something we fear is individualism. But, but this young generation is not willing to just be put into two categories, three categories, five categories. I learned by teaching. I became an outdoor survival expert and ran an outdoor survival school by teaching kids outdoor survival. I didn't wait until I was a certified expert in the same way that I didn't wait till I had a master's degree in education. What I, what I am skilled at is, prese is presenting material that is either mine or not mine. So if I watch a YouTube video on something, as long as I teach it within a 24-hour period, I will remember it forever. But at no time did any teacher say, Aaron, tomorrow you need to teach everybody how to do algebra. Because had my math teacher told me that I was responsible for teaching other people algebra, I'd have learned it. But to this day, I have no idea how to do algebra. <laughs> that's one of the, that's why I didn't find out I was graduating until two weeks, two days before I graduated is because my algebra teacher said, he's not going to use algebra. Just give him a D minus and let him graduate. <laughs> Thank God. Thank you, Mr. Kokora. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that opens a great conversation about peer to peer teaching. And I'd like to say that changes the whole dynamic of a classroom and how people are learning as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your podcast as well, because oh, you know, you. it's, I think it's really important that people just get access to to, to the important things in life and i think you know as a podcaster you know i think it's such an amazing way for people just to be able to find great information that can help them my show is for parents of teenagers that are really struggling like that's my niche market is that you've got a 13 to 17 year old uh kid that hasn't been to school they haven't read a book they're addicted to their phone they're addicted to drugs they're addicted to self-harming they're running away they've stolen the car uh you know they they've they've had an overdose um those are those are my families those are my kids and so i have spent the last well, you know, 12 years of my life going to conference after conference for the mental health and addiction industry, because I, I owned a mental health and addiction uh, treatment center for children. So we spend our time going to these expert shows. And it was about five shows in, five conferences in, that I'm sitting in an audience watching a speaker that I've already watched speak. And I'm looking around and I'm sitting next to people I've already sat next. I'm like, we're keeping this information confined in a system. That's why the system is failing is because we're not spreading this. Every individual speaker is writing their book and trying to get it out there. But if you really want to get something out there, you have to be a master marketer. And so I created a show to interview these people for the parents. I truly believe that prevention is the cure to prevent your child having to go to treatment. That is the cure. But what if we met too late? What if my marketing isn't good enough? Then I've got to bring you the same people that are teaching me and my team how to do what we do with adolescent treatment. We have to teach this to the parents. So my show is an interview show of experts like you, Mark, on I interview you. And we talk about education and I interview the, the America's leading reading ambassador. And we talk about reading and I talk to Dr. Paula Hall, who's out there in London, who's one of the leading experts on sex addiction. And we talk to, and so I have been fortunate enough to, in the last 255 episodes to go around and interview the experts in adolescent recovery and family recovery. 
and we're going to give it to the parents. And that's free because we have to do this. We, everybody has to have access to treatment. Everybody has to have recourse to support the law, justice, and healthcare, and mental healthcare. So that's why we do this. That's why I do Beyond Risk and Back. That's the name of my show, Beyond Risk and Back. And it's a weekly show. I mean, it's such an important thing. And, you know, one of the things that I learned from becoming a podcaster was just the fact that, do you know what? This is just so important. And the community and the people that are involved in it are just so supportive and they're so giving and they're smart and they just want to get that message out and, and help everybody. And I think with so many people in that same kind of mindset, it as, a, as an industry, it really is changing the world in so many ways. I agree. I agree. So, you know, I think we've got a really clear kind of understanding about your view of education and how it works and, and why it works in, in, in the right context. But let's wind it back a little bit in terms of, is there an education experience or a teacher that you remember that really struck a chord with you that, that made a big difference in your life? I met Paul Rowland uh, when I started learn, learning Suzuki violin method when I was a little kid. And Paul was teaching private lessons. And he was such a kind man. So I had him as a private teacher. Or then I would be in a class of three kids. And then when I hit seventh grade, um, he was, he was there in orchestra. And so I had, I spent my middle school and high school mornings with Paul Rowland for six years from seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th and 11th and 12th. Now let's be clear, Mark. I was never a talented violin player, <laughs> not for a moment. I did not practice. I never made first chair, even in second violin. I never made first chair. I don't believe I made second chair. I think I might've hit third chair once, but that was not important to me. Paul Rowland was the person that I learned context from. A, he loved what he did. B, um, he loved me and he loved all of his students. He loved his first chairs and he loved his last chairs. He loved me because I showed up. He loved me because I wanted to be in his class. He loved me because I wasn't late, not because I was a good violinist. He loved me because I was present every single day. And when I wasn't, when I struggled, he gave me the individualized attention that made me want to come back. He did not set expectations that one day I would be a great violinist and he would have claim to my brilliance. He was just glad I was there. And I felt that from him. He communicated that to me. In the same sense that Paul Rowland and the band teacher in high school, and I can't even remember this man's name, but instead of eating lunch, I would go and teach myself the drums. And when I did well, that band teacher would applaud. And when I didn't, he wouldn't. I, we never spoke. We, I was never his student. But he gave me space to be Aaron. Paul Rowland affected me, not because he taught me well, but because he connected with me. And it's connection before correction. It's alliance before compliance. That's what we forget. I didn't care how much Paul knew about stringed instruments. I knew how much he cared about me. Paul, and he died from cancer many years ago, and I'm still 
friends on Facebook with his son, David and Aaron. Um, and I, there's, they're just, he was a good man and his sons are good men and good fathers and good husbands. That mattered more than whether I got the notes right. I think, you know, it's a recurring theme that we hear on the podcast is that it's, it's the way you make someone feel that makes all the difference. It's that connection. It, it, and, and I think we all inherently know that. But what I love is, is the context within how these things come about. It doesn't necessarily have to be your first grade teacher or, the, or, your, um, or your university lecturer. It can be anybody at any point, from a coach to a teacher to to just someone who's working within the school. It's always about how you connect in that human to human relationship. And I think as long as we all remember that, then <laughs> all you can be is yourself. And I think, like you say, being authentic, being passionate, showing up as you are, and therefore connecting with other people that's what education is all about and like I say there's a million books you can write and read about how that system then looks beyond there but that's right. the key the key to everything so is there a piece of advice you've been given that really struck you that's really been impactful or, or indeed is there a piece of advice you give your younger self now looking back which you think would be really important to know yeah there is the thing you struggle with you know, it's interesting, Mark, because when I've been asked that question in the past, I, I would always say the thing I would tell my younger self is don't do drugs. Okay? It really consumed a good chunk of my life and created a lot of chaos and catastrophe and people got hurt and people got abandoned by me. And without excusing poor behavior, all of those things created who I am as a teacher, as a father, as a husband, uh, just as a man. So I do not embrace the concept of no regrets. I have regrets. I really do have regrets. I do. I never want to become that person because I regret the person I was. And I find power in that. So I believe that that is my advice for myself. If I could sit still long enough to a speak to my younger self and b to listen to my older self, you know, but I, I highly doubt there's anything I could say to my younger self that I would remember because that's not what I remember from people. I don't remember anything Paul Roland ever said to me. So I think that what I would do for my younger self is help my younger self feel that I'm okay, just the way I am. That the years I had spent in school, in, in addiction, in feeling bullied and suicidal, feeling abandoned by my biological father and unloved by him, I think I would have taken the time to sit with my younger self and not say anything but just allow my younger self to feel important and special and that how I learn and how I solve problems would one day make me a multimillionaire because it has, but by God, that battle to believe in myself has been the most painful to this day. It remains the most painful experience of my life. And the truth is, I'm okay. And I think one of the most powerful things in that is the not doing anything. And 
even not saying anything. Because I think the moment that you can sit and you can just feel and be with everything, it separates out who you are from the mind chatter, the everything that goes beyond that. And and as soon as you can understand that those two things work hand in hand, but you have control of understanding, one is just your brain giving you all the information it wants to do, and that's not essentially who you are, then I think it gives you the skill and the inner belief of one connecting with who you are and what you're all about. And also then giving you the strength and understanding that no matter what your circumstances, like you were saying, you know, in a school that doesn't work for you, in a in a in a home life that's not for you or supporting you, but there are people out there who are. And the most important person of that is yourself, which like we just said there, you know, if you can find that space to understand that, that's your that's your core, that's your center. And then you will find the violin teacher, the whoever it happens to be in your community, whether that's in school, down the street, a neighbor, another family member, whoever it happens to be, then you start to see in them what you want to see in you and vice versa. And then life becomes for you rather than against you or just understanding that it's it's inhabiting the same thing. And I think that's incredibly powerful. So just as we finish up, is there a resource that you'd like to share that you think would be really supportive for people? I, I'd like to share a free one and then a, a very cheap one. Uh, my free resource is a Facebook page called Parenting Teens That Struggle. And it's a private group that has 1,700 parents. 1,700 parents are collected there who are really going through the struggle with their teenagers. And people ask questions and everybody shows up and supports. And I post videos and podcasts. I have other experts on that page answering and supporting it's, it's become a really amazing support community for each other if you are a parent of a teenager and that teenager is really struggling. I mean, really struggling. And that's, of course, free. Um, if you go to brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com, I have a parenting masterclass. And it's right now $37 because I want every parent to have access to it. In 2022, I'll be raising the price to $100, but it's still, it's a, it needs to be a resource that every parent can connect to. And it's 56 classes of everything I have taught parents in the last 20 years, because that's been my primary job being a parent coach and being a, a family interventionist. Even when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with parents' children in, in the treatment facility or as a, as a teen sober coach, it was ultimately so I could tell the parents how to connect with their kid better. And so the brabapp.com and there's a little 10 question quiz that shows you at which level should you start taking the classes, but you get all of the classes for that $37. So parenting teens that struggle on Facebook and brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com. Aaron, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your insights and being so authentic and, and just taking you through your journey and your story. I think so many teachers are parents. So many of us are just surrounded by children that we know need help. And yeah. I think just understanding that every child is an individual, no matter what you think they need or what they don't need, be there, be yourself, be authentic. Let them ask the questions and then follow the lead. I think that's some fantastic advice today. So yeah, thank you so much indeed. 
Mark, thanks for letting me be on your show. I appreciate being able to reach your crowd. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to carry the conversation on or ask any questions related to the show, please join our Facebook community. If you go to facebook.com and search for Education on Fire, our private community there where we offer more resources, have conversations and chat around some of the things that we discuss here on the podcast and in education in general. Thanks very much and I really hope to see you inside. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.